We're doing a new uh, series called Christmas Unwrapped. And we are essentially looking at different traditions that we do at home and we are unwrapping them. So we do things every year and we're unwrapping them and we're seeing how they can point to something bigger. So this year, well this year, this today, I'm looking at something called a candle. Um, how many people have candles in their homes? How many people um, have candles, especially for Christmas? You don't need to put your hands up, but this is the one from the Boyd House that we have, and it smells to me like Christmas. In fact, Christmas hasn't really started until this candle comes out. Uh, when we walk around the shops um, in March, and then the kids smell this, they say, it smells like Christmas. Do you have that? Do you have that uh, special candle that you put on, that special scent? I've, I, it, out of interest, I googled uh, Yankee Christmas candles. Uh, and the list names are this. I don't know if you've got any of these, but here we go. Christmas Eve Coca. What does that smell like? Merry Berry. Twinkle Lights. Arctic Frost. Dream Farm Festival. I don't understand that. I can imagine a tree farm festival smelling like mud or something like that. I'm not quite sure what that would smell like. But there'll be certain things that you smell and there'll be certain um, kind of um, images that you have that come from when you smell different things or a smell will take you back someplace. Because the power of smell, it's so evocative. It brings so many strong images back to us. I was watching Graham Norton just Friday and an actor said because she was in two roles, she said, to, to get my mind set for a certain role, I, I gave each character a different scent. Because when I gave her them that scent, it put me into that certain place, that headspace that needs to be. It's smell is so powerful, it's weird. Why are, we, why are we wired like that? There'll be certain smells that you have that you, know, you may smell when you're just walking past a corridor somewhere and it takes you back to school. Just, just a random thought, you're thinking, why am I thinking of this? It's because I'm smelling something so strange. What does this say about God? What does it say about us? So, we're going to see how our senses, especially smell, point to something much bigger and can give us a real hope this Christmas. We will look at this very briefly through the two lenses in the Bible. One, through incense. Hence, the candle. That's my poor attempt at incense. One is incense, and the other is sacrifice. So incense and sacrifice, two big things that we're going to hear. So as Ash has just read, I'm not going to reread uh, the passage, but uh, as Ash has just gone through the amazing story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, and it is amazing. We haven't got time to fully hit every area, and that's one of the things I struggled with, really, when I was, coming, when I was preparing for this. It's really narrowing it down. But as we came up, obviously, with the sermon series and we're looking at kind of like the traditions and how we're going to wrap them, this is the one that became most uh, apparent. So Zachariah uh, and, and Elizabeth, they're a regular older couple and they're praying for a child. Zachariah has a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to the temple and burn the incense. Now, this was a big deal. This was massive because... It, Zachariah would have been going to the temple with the other how many priests there were, and by lot it says in the Bible they were chosen to pick the uh, to to burn the incense. 
And Zachariah would have had many of times when he would have seen people going in and going in and doing this massive honor of burning the incense. And Zachariah would have seen that. And this time the lot falls on him. And he has to go in and he has to burn that incense. Now we're going to really dig deep into incense and why that, this is really significant. So to put this into context, we're going to look at very quickly Exodus uh, chapter 30, verses 34 to 38. This is where God is giving Moses, uh, a prophet, who, became, who came before Zechariah, very specific instructions. So we're just going to quickly read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, oinker, and, and galbanum, and pure frankincense and e- in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfume, perfume, perfumer. Sorry. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in the front of the ark of the covenant law in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from their people. Burning of the incense wasn't a trivial tradition. God takes this really, really seriously. If I'm completely honest, before I started looking into the passage and looking into incense, I didn't really think about it that much. It wasn't something I really took a deep dive in and really focused in on. But as I look through this, and as I look at the smells in general in the Bible, God takes it really seriously. Zechariah is carrying out something which has been passed on through generations before him. Two things that the incense symbolized. One, the smoke of the incense symbolized the prayers of the people. As Zechariah went into the temple, you would have seen, uh, obviously you've seen people use this in maybe the Church of England where the smoke arises and and that's what it symbolizes. It symbolizes the the prayers of people going up. And within those prayers, obviously Zechariah was praying for a child. So within those prayers, you can imagine Zechariah praying for the prayers of his people, but within that experience he would have been praying for himself as well so that's the first thing the second thing is the burning of incense gave people the opportunity to get near to the presence of God God says I will meet with you there where I'll meet with you in verse 36 is a really important statement when you go into the temple that Zachariah was going into the altar of incense was placed in front of a massive veil And that was called the Holy of Holies. So if this was a temple, you will have obviously the entrance and you'd have a big veil here. And then in this area, it would be the Holy of Holies. And they say that's where God's presence rested. That's where God's presence was. And and within the statement as well, within the passage that we just read, is that God was saying, when you burn the incense, I will meet you there. Can you imagine being Zechariah in that moment in time? Imagine being Zachariah, going into the temple and actually thinking, I'm going to be in the presence of God. This is an awe-inspiring and fearful experience. And I haven't even gotten to the point where the angel had turned up. So in Zachariah, would know, it's not just about burning the incense the right way. It's about what the incense represents. It's about its intent. Zachariah knew that God wasn't messing around. He's not saying, just, you know, just do a bit of incense and it's, it'll be all right. 
It's a case of this needs to be right. My heart needs to be right before God. God, it's not just the case of the, the smells need to be nice for God. It's the case of, it's the case of the fact that God knows that if my heart isn't right, there are going to be consequences for this. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to, uh, like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from their people. I mean, just let that sink in. You know, people, there's a perfumer who's, who's, who's doing the incense, making that incense, and then, can you imagine them going, I'll just make some for myself as well, actually. I think, well, what's wrong with that? And God says, actually, those people need to be cut off. And there's incidents in the Bible where they say that the incense isn't done in a particular way. In fact, in fact it's in Leviticus, and a fire consumes the people. And you think, wow. I mean, it's not just the case of God being serious about this. He's being very serious about it. And you may think, well, this sounds particularly harsh. I thought God was supposed to be loving and kind and gracious. And he is all of those things. He's also holy, and he's also pure, and he's also good, and he's also righteous, and he's, and he's God. I think sometimes we belittle who God is. We see these things and think, how can God make such a statement about a little bit of incense? But God is not, our, is not someone who is at our level. He's someone who is much, much bigger than this. Uh, there was a well-known saying, and I'm not going to um, apologize for using this again, from C.S. Lewis Narnia when they talk about Aslan. And this for me, I've, I've looked around and looked and tried to find other areas where this represents, um, this says what uh, I wanted to say, but it's, it, this seems to be the best one, where they're talking about Aslan, who is the lion, and he represents God. And one of the characters says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. You may have heard it before. Ooh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. See, if, God, if, the, if the roof came off this building and God in all his glory came down, into this building. One, our mind could not even think, comprehend that concept. But if God in all his unveiled glory came into this building now, all our questions about God, about who he is, all our discrepancies, all the quarrels that we have with God, do we think at that point in time we would, we would be able to stand up to God and say, I've got a bone to pick with you, Matthew Boyd from Pontefract, who in one time they'll see this in a hundred years and I'll be, I'll be gone and God is forever. Absolutely not. I mean, if we even survive that experience, it will be a life-changing experience. So one of the things I re really want to drive home, really, is take God seriously. Take him seriously. Take what he says seriously. That's one of the things. We read on in Luke about the angel appearing. I'm just going to quickly go through some of it. Some of the um, passage from verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. You can imagine, okay? So Zechariah is already, you know, 
he's, he's already awe-inspired already because he has to go into the, into the temple. And then, obviously, this happens. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Zachariah, in his mind, is performing a sacred ritual, which has been done a number of times. Awe-inspiring, yes, but he knows that he is part of a generation of people or a number of people that have gone in to burn the incense before him. And God breaks in and an angel says, your prayers have been answered. Imagine how he felt. Just imagine being in Zachariah's shoes. The angel saying, you will have a son who will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will bring you great joy. He will bring people to God. You're going to have a son. He's going to turn the hearts of families around. God will be with him. He's going to bring you great joy, and he will prepare a way for Jesus, the Son of God, to come. And when he comes, he will be the light in darkness. He will give us real hope. This tradition, Zechariah, that you are doing, and what hundreds of priests have done before you, is pointing the way to something far greater. The prophecy that you have read and was given to you hundreds of years ago, 400 years ago in Malachi, is coming to fruition right now. I said a couple of weeks ago that we, when we see the world we live in, we ache for light. We ache to see what uh, just goodness in the world, just hope in the world. And that's exactly what Zachariah was doing. They were aching for light. They, they, were, they wanted to uh, worship God. They, they wanted to be faithful to God. And in Zechariah's way, as he was going in and burning the incense, that's exactly what he was doing. He was being faithful. And then the angel turns up and says, you have been faithful, your prayers have been answered, and it's going to change the world. You are going to have a son who is going to be a prophet. The world is aching for light and hope. And your son is going to be part of the story. Just a quick question. What are you praying about? What are you praying for at this moment in time? I know that 99% of people will be praying for something right at this moment in time. For people at home, what are you praying about? Is it to change a certain situation? Is it for a family member to, to become a Christian? Is it for, you know, for anything? I don't, I don't know. There's so many things. Does God always give us what we want? The answer is no. But God can give us some things we do not expect. It's not necessarily what we want, but it gives us things that we do not expect, and it gives us something bigger than we have ever dreamed of. The amazing thing is that we can trust him and give him everything and let him do what he needs to do. We don't need to have control. We don't need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. We know that God's got it. We could be confident in what he has got. And the future that we have and the future that God has planned for us may not look exactly what we think it will look like. But we, he, he gives us enough now. He gives us enough now for, for tomorrow. He gives us that future grace. Have we got enough to stand to, for today? Yes. And let's be confident in what he can give us tomorrow. In 1 John 14 and 15, it says this, there is the confidence we have in approaching God 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you believe that? He hears you. You may be praying now subconsciously. He hears you. The God that I spoke about and I, and I t- said about the roof coming off, that all awesome, powerful God, he hears you. And if we know what he hears, you know, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked for of him. Zachariah and Elizabeth prayed for a child and they got a prophet and they're in the Bible. I can pretty much guarantee when Zachariah and Elizabeth went to the temple, they weren't expecting that. (laughs) Definitely weren't expecting that. I imagine the smell of the incense when Zachariah goes into his later years, the smell of the incense, it will take him back to that very moment. To that very moment where I think God spoke to me at that moment and he told me everything. I asked at the start, why is smell so powerful? And the answer is this, or one of the answers. I don't know the scientific answer, but the answer I see from the Bible is because we're made in the image of God. We are like this because God is like this. All the way through the Bible, smells mean something to God. Just, just think about this, and I'm not going to go too much into it, or else it'll be a two-hour sermon. But just think about this. If you become a Christian, God says that you have the aroma of Christ. Just think of what I've just said in terms of how serious God takes incense and aromas. If you become a Christian, you are, have the aroma of Christ and people are attracted to that and they can smell that. They start asking questions around you. I mean, who is equal to such a task? That's what it says in that passage. Who is equal to it? The answer is no one. <laughs> but in God's eyes, we are, we, we are like Christ. Mind-blowing. Not going to go too much into that, but just let that sink in for a minute. For God, it runs even deeper. Because like I said earlier, It's not just about the smells for God, the deeper reason behind the smell. Secondly, we're going to just look at sacrifice as we finish. We're going to look at one passage in particular, and that's Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God as well as burning incense, was also required. Priests were also sorry, to, uh, required to uh, sacrifice certain types of animals to atone for the sins of the people. But again, it wasn't just the aroma from the sacrifices that pleased God, but what it represented, which was repentance and changed lives. God said these sacrifices were pleasing. They were a pleasing aroma to him. However, this, sacri- this, this system couldn't last forever. So there had to be one sacrifice which covered everyone in all times, in all places, once and for all. Something massive. What the world needs was for someone to come into the world to save it and renew it. God had to do something big. So what did he do? What are we going to be celebrating? What are we celebrating now? He stepped off his throne. He becomes flesh. He is God with us, Emmanuel. 
something so big, so amazing, that it saves us all. You say, can't God just get rid of the darkness and evil in the world? We see everything that goes on. We look at the news, we look on social media, we do all the rest of it, and we see all the mess in the world, saying, can't God just get rid of all of it? Just get rid of it. Can't it just all disappear? But the problem is, is that when we say, do you want it all to disappear, or do you just want a little bit of it to disappear? Because if you want all of it to disappear, and if there's no sacrifice, that means there'll be no humanity left, because we're part of the problem. We're part of the mess. We contribute to it. We're not perfect people. We hurt people. We cause pain. We're self-serving, even when we try not to be. It's the human condition. That's why we've got two big statements that we say as, huma as humans. Don't be harsh. I'm only human. And the other one is, nobody is perfect. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a school. Could do better. Nobody's perfect. We say it all the time. You, I'm only human. God sacrificed himself by stepping into our mess and dealing with it once and for all. If there was no sacrifice and God destroyed all the darkness and the evil, then humanity would not exist. There's a scene in Les Miserables where someone from the French Revolution gets shot and is unconscious. And they're about to die in the underground sewers. We were talking about smells. What's the smell? Must, must the smell? Disgusting. And the main character, Jean Valjean, takes that person, sees what's happened, takes the person, as the person's unconscious in the sewage, and he takes them and lifts them up so the head is just above that sewage. And then what happens is, as they travel from A to B, travel from where they need to go, he takes them and he carries them. And he actually sometimes has to completely submerge himself within that sewage as he carries that person just to make sure that they live. Jesus, who is God, submerged himself into our mess, submerged himself into our world, submerged himself and sacrificed himself on the cross so we can live. Someone wrote this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ we ever dared hope. This is the good news of the gospel message. It's the good news of the hope of Christmas. If Jesus loves us and has sacrificed himself for us, you can trust him with anything. This year, I don't know about you, I'm exhausted by it. Mentally exhausted by it. I don't know how to feel sometimes in terms of things. Things look great, things don't look great in, in certain aspects. And you're just like, what is going on? It's just exhausting. And this, the psalm I'm going to end on, is something which has been a real comfort to me in the past couple of years but it's been a real comfort to me because it states that we can be absolutely rock-solid confident that even when the world is falling to pieces, God is with us. And it's all because of Jesus' sacrifice. See, God is merciful. He is kind. He is good. He is patient. He is loving. And he is tender. And he's open-armed and he's ready to forgive. And he is also mighty. And he is powerful. 
and he is glorious and he is righteous and he is pure and he is good and he is strong and he's in absolute control. He is tender, but he is strong and he can deal with anything within this world. I'm going to read this psalm now and I want it just to wash over us. I want you just to hear the words. I want it to, it to be like the psalmist is talking to you. When you read the news, when you are praying for that thing that you're praying for, when the world feels like it's caving in, I want this psalm to be ringing in your ears. I want it to be like the smell of the aroma, just to come and remind you that God is saying, take refuge in me. Take refuge in me. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, for its waters, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake, quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her; she will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar; kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields and fire with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.